Somebody suggested we change the age when Social Security kicks in in the year 2050. They went crazy. How many members of the AARP are going to be around in 2050? Come on. Yeah. Who cares about old, poor people? They'll be dead well, soon anyway. I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Hello. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on some fine internet affiliates including the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Uh, before we get to some electoral politics today... And the, uh, I think it's the ninth Democratic debate on Wednesday night in Las Vegas. Desi Doyen, can you confirm that it is the ninth? I can't I, confirm but if it's it not, for sure. Okay, I'll so yes, but it. no, you can't. I got it. All right. Well, I think it is the ninth. Uh, it will be featuring a new face. That would be the 78-year-old face of billionaire Mike Bloomberg. So maybe not such a new face, about which the American Prospects' David Dayan will join us to discuss in a bit. But let's start off with some good news, shall we? Good court news, actually. Yes, (laughs) from two different courts, both in battleground states, both coming down on the side of voters, as there is still some element of our constitutional republic, at least for today, that does seem to be working as it is supposed to by defending constitutional rights And specifically, in these cases, the right of voters to take part in that defense of those rights. First to Florida in a new ruling on a story that we have been covering closely over the past year. A federal appeals court on Wednesday sided with ex-felons who sued Florida over a recent GOP law that undermined a 2018 constitutional amendment known as Amendment 4 giving ex-felons the right to vote in the state. That statewide constitutional ballot measure passed with a landslide bipartisan 65% of the vote back in November of 2018, after which Republican the, uh, re- the new Republican governor in Florida, Ron DeSantis, who reportedly won on that same ballot by less than half a percentage point, 
He went to work with the GOP state legislature to undermine that measure, which could result in some one and a half million former felons who have long ago completed their prison sentences regaining their right to vote. Florida was one of just three states at the time to ban former felons from voting for life including one out of every four African-American men of voting age in the state of Florida. Now, previously, a federal district court had temporarily halted the new GOP law, uh, which requires that all courts fee court fees and restitution be paid before a former felon was allowed to vote. That law was put in place specifically to counteract Amendment 4, which said, hey, if you're no longer in uh, in prison, if you're an ex-felon at this point, you are allowed to register and to vote. So the GOP went to work. They put this law in place to prevent those same ex-felons from voting that the people of Florida had voted in a landslide to allow to vote once again. So the district court previously had halted that GOP law that had blocked those former felons who had not paid back various court fees because they were too poor to do so. That law, as I said, was passed in hopes of gutting Amendment 4, but a panel of judges now from the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the lower court's order on Wednesday, finding that the challengers are, in fact, likely to succeed on the merits of proving that the state violates the U.S. Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. The appeals court wrote, quote, the long and short of it, is that once a state provides an avenue to ending the punishment of disenfranchisement, as the voters of Florida plainly did, it must do so consonant with the principles of equal protection. It is undeniable, the appeals court wrote, that the 2019 law's legal financial obligation requirement punishes those who cannot pay more harshly than those who can pay. Plaintiffs had argued that the law allows the right to vote basically to those who can afford to uh, pay off fees amounting to no more than a poll tax, but would not allow those who are unable to uh, to pay up because, you know, for example, they're too poor because, for example, they have been in prison for a number of years and they don't come from rich families that can afford to pay off the fees that Florida is famous for charging prisoners even while they are imprisoned. The uh, ACLU hailed this uh, ruling as a victory. They said the court found that, quote, denying access to the franchise to those genuinely unable to pay solely on account of wealth is unconstitutional. With the court writing in their ruling that the disenfranchisement serves no legitimate purpose for the government. The continued disenfranchisement of felons who are genuinely unable to pay these fees and who have made a good faith effort to do so does not further any legitimate state interest that we can discern, according to the court. Now, it does further uh, Republican Party interests in the state of Florida to keep these people from voting, most likely. Since Florida is such an important battleground state in the presidential election, it also furthers the GOP's interest nationwide. That, however, does not make this uh, disenfranchising law any more constitutional. Sorry, Republicans. Republicans who pretend to uh, care about the Constitution. 
The 11th Circuit wrote in uh, this paragraph, uh, here these plaintiffs are punished more harshly than those who committed precisely the same crime by having their right to vote taken from them likely for their entire lives. And this punishment is linked not to their culpability, but rather to the fact of their wealth. Indeed, the wealthy identical felon with identical culpability has his punishment cease. Nailed it, 11th Circuit. Well said. They also said that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court has been uh, crystal clear, saying Florida, quote, may not treat criminal defendants more harshly on account of their poverty. So that is, uh, I would say, unqualified great news. It remains to be seen, of course, if Florida will appeal the ruling. Of course they will. Uh, to the stolen Republican majority on the U.S. Supreme Court. But time is short to block more than a million now law-abiding Florida residents from exercising their right to vote, so Republicans better get to work. I'm sure they'll find a way. Uh, they uh, They will certainly try, and we will cover it if they do. Other than that, hey, go register to vote, Florida. Everyone, don't wait. Uh, The other good court news on voting today comes out of yet another battleground state. That would be the great state of North Carolina. A uh, a state court of appeals on Tuesday blocked the state's new photo ID voting restriction from taking effect. Yes, we are still fighting about photo ID voting restrictions. After how long have we been covering this, Desiree? I know it's been years. At least a decade. This is a zombie law that Republicans keep trying to push through in any way they can to stop people from voting. But the good news is the uh, state court of appeals... Uh, has blocked it from taking effect, and that will likely prevent it from being in place in time for the 2020 elections. This ruling comes just two weeks before the Tar Heel State is set to hold uh, their presidential primaries on Super Tuesday, March 3rd. It's obviously a victory for civil rights groups and voting rights advocates who have argued that the law would disenfranchise poor and minority voters. Huh. Starting to see a pattern here. Uh, Why do Republicans keep passing laws, whether it's Florida, North Carolina, that disproportionately disenfranchise poor and minority voters? Total coincidence, I'm sure. Uh, In a separate ruling last month in federal court in North Carolina, they had already issued a block of this law through the state's primaries uh, on March 3rd. And uh, but Tuesday's decision all but ensures a block on this law through the general election in November, according to CNN, at least unless there is some other ruling before then somehow. And yes, I am looking at you once again, stolen U.S. Supreme Court. But it looks a lot less likely. And this is important because, of course, North Carolina is one of the most closely divided states in the union. At least it has been for the last uh, two or three or more presidential cycles. In Tuesday's decision, the state appeals court said that the voter ID provision, quote, likely will have a negative impact on African-Americans because they lack acceptable IDs at a greater rate than white voters. The North Carolina Republican Party chair called the uh, ruling, quote, ridiculous because, you know, science 
and facts and all of that. Who Data, needs it? Evidence. Yeah, it's ridiculous. The only evidence they really care about is how many people they can disenfranchise. In 2013, the state's gerrymandered GOP legislative majority, you may recall, passed the mother of all voter suppression laws requiring residents, among other things, requiring residents to present a very few specific types of photo ID to vote, specifically types that minority uh, voters do not have in larger proportions than non-minority voters. That was 2013. Voting rights advocates slammed it as an effort to disenfranchise poor and minority voters and those with disabilities. Republicans claimed the measure, of course, along with a whole host of other voter suppression schemes that was in that 2013 bill, were meant to prevent voter fraud, even though studies of recent elections provided to the courts in these cases showed that in-person Double voting fraud, uh, the only type of voter fraud that could possibly be prevented by a photo ID voting restriction, is all but non-existent. That's why state after state after state has been unable to show any actual uh, cases of people going and voting twice at the polling place. A federal appeals court then in 2016 overturned parts of that 2013 law, which we described at the time as the nation's worst Voter suppression law since the Jim Crow era, the provisions uh, regarding photo ID restrictions were described by the court at the time as having been written to, quote, target African-Americans with almost surgical precision and, quote, impose cures for problems that do not exist. But that was 2016 and Republicans do not give up easily in 2018. They placed a state constitutional amendment on the ballot to require photo ID to vote. That passed by about 55 percent after a heavy propaganda campaign to support it, after which the still GOP majority legislature, which is still GOP majority, by the way, because the stolen U.S. Supreme Court had blocked the lower court rulings, finding that it had been unconstitutionally gerrymandered to assure GOP majorities. Anyway, that GOP majority finalized that statewide uh, ballot measure to lay out how the amendment would actually be implemented. The Democratic governor, Roy Cooper, vetoed that measure in uh, late, dis uh, late 2018. He said it was, quote, designed to suppress the rights of minority, poor and elderly voters. And now both a federal judge and a state court of appeals agree with the Democratic governor, and they have blocked the measure, at least for the time being. Now, uh, when this was blocked uh, last month, U.S. District Court Judge Loretta Biggs ruled that the new law was um, discriminatory. She noted many of the same lawmakers had pushed that new law and had openly said that it was designed not to fix discriminatory issues, but to survive further legal challenge. She wrote in her blistering dissent, uh, blistering opinion that, quote, the legislature sought ways to circumvent state and federal courts and to further enrich itself. Judge Biggs noted that minority voters in the state were less likely to possess an acceptable form of I.D. as identified by the law. And she noted that African-Americans were more likely to have 
public assistance, and government IDs, which were largely not considered an acceptable form of voter ID under the law as written by the Republicans. Got that? The Republicans want you to have a specific type of government ID, but not the government ID that was that issued by the state. have, yeah. Right. The evidence, she wrote, suggests that minority voters are not just likely to have an acceptable, uh, are, are not just less likely to have an acceptable form of ID, but that the GOP-controlled legislature specifically excluded photographic ID that could have greatly reduced that discrepancy. They did it on purpose. And they'll keep doing it unless we stop them. And we'll do our best to try. The fight just to vote continues. So is it any wonder that it's so difficult to fight for the right to vote in a, in a way that the public can know that their votes were actually counted and counted accurately? I guess we're just asking for too much. Anyway, you know who else is asking for uh, just too much? Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> She's in third place in the Democratic delegate, uh, delegate race for the, uh, for the nomination, tied in most of the polls for second place. And yet, while it is often Bernie Sanders supporters who are complaining that he is not getting the attention he deserves, and often they are correct, but now Warren's supporters are suggesting that she is being all but erased in the primary contest. And now they have a new poll to help prove their case. Let the presidential politics begin next on the broadcast. And David Dayan will be here with a new scoop on Mike Bloomberg and it's either troubling or revealing or both. You'll decide. That's all straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Who? Bernie Sanders? Never heard of you. Elizabeth Warren? Mm, who's she? Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. So, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, um, uh, on the strength of his performances in Iowa and New Hampshire, has surged in a number of national polls as of now. Uh, including one out just today with a another double-digit lead over all of his rivals for the Democratic presidential nomination. This one is from Washington Post, ABC News poll. It's out Wednesday. It was published in advance of the Las Vegas debate on Wednesday night. It largely mirrors several other national polls released over the past 24 to 48 hours. 
Uh, it shows Sanders way up in the lead with 32 percent. Former Vice President Joe Biden, who had led Sanders in the last post-ABC national poll in January, has seen a sharp drop in his support after he finished fourth in the Iowa caucuses and fifth in New Hampshire. Biden is now in a battle for second place with former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Former South Bend Mayor Pete uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, who lost the popular vote at the Iowa caucuses, but narrowly won the state delegate count there over Sanders. He came a close second to him in the New Hampshire primary, but he remains in single digits nationally, roughly even with uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, who is also in single digits nationally. Uh, Despite her third place finish in New Hampshire, So basically, Joe Biden had been leading in January with 32 percent in this poll. He has now slid down to just 16 percent in this poll. Bernie Sanders had been at 23 percent and he is up at 32 percent now. So 32 percent for Sanders. The closest second place person here is Joe Biden at 16, followed by Mike Bloomberg at 14 and Elizabeth Warren at 12. Essentially, those three are bunched up within the six point margin of error. As noted, those numbers fairly closely mirror at least two other national polls out over the past day or so from NBC and Wall Street Journal, as well as NPR and Marist. Of course, Sanders supporters have become known, and I know this is, uh, I have to be careful here, but Sanders supporters have become known, unfortunately, for grievances about the way that the now frontrunner is frequently treated by the media. And, well, I noticed a story from CNN's Chris Saliza yesterday. Des, I know you're a fan of uh, Mr. Saliza. <laughs> that would be an interesting and more generous way of putting it than I would say. I see. Uh, well, this was his story on the NPR Marist poll uh, that sort of underscores uh, a, a legitimate grievance from uh, Sanders supporters. So this new poll comes out yesterday. It's the one that uh, qualifies Bloomberg for the Wednesday debate. It also happens to show Sanders for the first time skyrocketing into first place by double digits. That seems newsworthy. 31 percent for Sanders in that poll, followed way down by Bloomberg at 19, Biden at 15, Warren at 12. Obviously, it was a big jump for Sanders in that poll. Uh, And, of course, for Bloomberg. But CNN's uh, Saliza, the article on uh, this new poll, begins this way. Michael Bloomberg soared into second place nationally in a new NPR Marist poll released Monday morning. A stunning surge uh, fueled by hundreds of millions of ads funded by the billionaire former mayor of New York City. The poll allowed him to qualify for Wednesday's Nevada debate. That Bloomberg is now a major factor in the race is beyond a question. The more interesting question is who exactly are Bloomberg voters? Where are his pockets of support? And perhaps more importantly, who has Bloomberg taken these voters from? A look inside the poll suggests that the answers to that final question is, generally speaking, former Vice President Joe Biden. Bloomberg rose 15 points from the December version of this poll until today. Biden fell nine points from 24 to 15, et cetera, et cetera. Dig even deeper and you see that Bloomberg voters today look a lot like Biden voters from back in December with one clear difference, which I will get to. So it goes on for a full six paragraphs 
before Bernie Sanders, who actually won the poll that Celisa is writing about before his name is even mentioned. And then it's only to say that Bloomberg trails Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders by 12 points in the poll. He never actually even mentions that Sanders was in first place with 31 percent. That's odd, isn't it? And that's with Bloomberg, by the way, on none of the early state ballots until next month on Super Tuesday and without actually being at any of the debates until Wednesday night, where where Sanders was the second place finisher in the presidential race in 2016 on the Democratic side. And he's broken out of the pack in the new NPR Marist poll that Saliza was writing about. But he didn't feel it was notable to mention that Sanders was now in first place. That is strange. So, yeah, I'm sometimes annoyed uh, by a a grievance culture among some of Sanders supporters. But this is a good example of why they sometimes complain. But this story is arguably even odder, I think. As we went to air yesterday, the NBC Wall Street Journal had come out with uh, a poll had come out. And I noted on air that though I hadn't had the chance to look closely at it yet as we uh, as it broke, as we went on the air, that Sanders had a double digit lead in that poll as well with 27 points. Uh, Over the nearest rival being Joe Biden, that was a virtual tie with Bloomberg and Warren, who were both at 14 percent and Buttigieg at 13 percent. So essentially, Biden, Bloomberg, Warren and Buttigieg all within two points of each other, all well within the nearly five point margin of error with Klobuchar trailing way back in uh, sixth place with in single digits with just seven points in this poll. Well, the NBC poll went on then to detail the head-to-head matchups. They asked other questions uh, of voters. If the race was between Biden and Trump, who would you vote for, etc.? On that score, Biden did the best, uh, defeating Trump by eight points, 52 to 44. He was followed by Bloomberg over Trump by seven points, Sanders over Trump by four points, Buttigieg over Trump by four points, and Klobuchar, 48 to 45 over Trump uh, by three points. Notice anything missing from NBC's polling questions on that matter, Desi Doyen? I certainly did. And uh, Elizabeth Warren's supporters certainly did. Yep. Apparently, they did not even bother to poll that question. They did not even bother to ask, uh, who do you prefer, Biden or Warren? That's kind of an amazing uh, problem to leave off. Yeah, they just decided to leave off one of the top candidates that has acquired more delegates than the other candidates that they asked about. Yeah, she's in third place in the delegate race. She's in either second or third place, largely tied in all of these polls, by and large. And they don't even ask about a general election uh, head-to-head matchup in a race where, you know, the big question is, oh, electability, electability, who can best beat Donald Trump? They didn't even ask about Elizabeth Warren. That's kind of odd. The uh, The poll from NBC and Wall Street Journal found that Warren was effectively tied for second place nationally, according to BuzzFeed News. But pollsters excluded her from a series of matchups between Trump and top candidates. They checked with uh, Peter Hart, whose firm conducted the poll, and, they, and uh, Hart told BuzzFeed News that the poll had, quote, 
uh, space and time for just five candidate matchups. Okay, he said Amy Klobuchar was selected as the fifth candidate. We had tested Warren earlier, and I suspected she will be part of the next testing. Well, yeah, I suspect she damn well better be. Yeah. Uh, but yes, they, so they tested her earlier last month before the entire race has been shaken up over the past month. To uh, Warren backers, according to uh, Molly Hensley Clancy the uh, over at BuzzFeed, uh, the poll was a flashpoint, the culmination of weeks of frustration with media coverage of her candidacy that has focused more heavily on Amy Klobuchar, who finished fifth in Iowa uh, behind Elizabeth Warren, but surged to a surprising third place in New Hampshire. NBC and Wall Street Journal did not respond uh, to a request for comments on this. The media focus on Klobuchar, uh, writes BuzzFeed, is rooted in large part on the Minnesota senator's recent surge in early states. While Warren has seen her support fall uh, from its heights last summer, in recent months it has remained uh, stagnant nationally. And that may be true, but it is way higher than Amy Klobuchar's. After the New Hampshire primary, where Warren finished behind Klobuchar but ahead of Joe Biden, some news outlets pulled reporters from Warren's campaign who had been traveling with her regularly and sent her uh, sent them over to Klobuchar or other campaigns that even though Warren is third in the delegate count, uh, while Klobuchar and Buttigieg remain in single digits nationally. This is just remarkable to me. Uh, Hart, uh, the pollster, said that the, t- the, the decision to poll Klobuchar was rooted in part in her surge. The outlet had never polled Klobuchar against Trump before. Uh, he said, we want to know where the voters start and what groups are moving toward them as they gain momentum. Hmm. Lame. Is that lame? lame. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I'm not buying it, to be honest. It doesn't make sense to me to say, hey, we just didn't have time to ask about this person who could very well become the next president of the United States. Well, listen, NBC and Wall Street Journal don't have all that much money. They can pay to poll (laughs) five questions, but But they can't, not six. Six is right out. That would break the bank. Uh, But you know who, uh, who has no trouble seemingly getting media attention these days? Even though he has not been on a single ballot to date, uh, nor at a single debate over the past year, even though there have been eight so far, well, his first appearance will be on Monday night in the ninth race. That would be Michael Bloomberg, ninth debate, I should say. Given the media attention, you would think he would be the front runner by now, given all the attention he's been giving. But given his actual record, frankly, it's amazing that he is even in a Democratic primary contest. We will discuss precisely that with financial investigative journalist David Dayan of The American Prospect after a quick break here. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the world-famous Bradcast. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. It's not about the money, money, money We don't need your money, yes. money, money 
It is about the money. Mike Bloomberg would not be in this race if it wasn't about the money. By the way, neither would Donald Trump be president, I suspect. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. According to AP, on Wednesday afternoon, Mike Bloomberg is set to confront the greatest test of his presidential campaign. I would say so far it's the only actual test. But they say uh, he'll face the greatest test when he faces five Democratic rivals in a debate in Las Vegas that could fundamentally change the direction of the party's 2020 nomination fight. The debate debut for the billionaire former mayor of New York City is poised to offer fresh insight into whether his unconventional campaign strategy bypassing early voting states like Nevada and spending literally hundreds of millions of dollars to spread his message on the airwaves is sustainable. Well, it has certainly propelled him in Democratic polling, for whatever that's worth, into second place nationally, largely tied with Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren in a number of national polls released over the past 24 to 48 hours. But that all could change after the prepackaged propaganda blanketing the airwaves across the nation uh, gives way to Mike Bloomberg himself on the debate stage facing actual questions from moderators and fellow Democrats all eyeing his rise in the polls very closely. Wednesday night's debate, as AP writes, comes at a pivotal point in the campaign as what they describe as moderate voters struggling to unify with some increasingly looking to Bloomberg, a former Republican, by the way, to become the clear alternative to progressive Bernie Sanders, who is currently skyrocketing in most of those same national polls. All the participants, and we are going to air here before Wednesday's debate, uh, all of the participants expect a hostile reception for Bloomberg at the debate, who formerly registered as a Democrat in 2018 and has faced relatively little national scrutiny in his surprisingly swift rise from nonpartisan megadonor to top tier presidential contender. That may all change on Wednesday night, but David Dayan of the American Prospect ain't waiting. He's been covering Bloomberg and concerns about his candidacy, at least for those who have an interest in actual democratic and or progressive policy positions for some time. And he joins us right now to talk about a whole bunch of those concerns. David Dayan is an investigative financial journalist and also now the executive editor of The American Prospect, fighting the good public policy fight from a progressive perspective for more than 30 years now at The Prospect. David's work has appeared pretty much everywhere at this point, and his first book, 2016's Chain of Title, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Great Foreclosure Fraud, was the winner of the Studs and Ida Turkle Prize. David Dan, my friend, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. So you wrote on Monday at The Prospect about the dangers of, quote, any blue will do politics, suggesting that Mike Bloomberg is a mirror image of Donald Trump. And I had asked you on to talk about that, and we will. But first, as we go to air today, David, just hours before the Democratic presidential debate in Vegas, you and uh, Alexander Salmon over at The Prospect have got a bit of a scoop concerning Bloomberg 
that could very well be brought up on Wednesday night in his uh, first appearance on the debate stage. Let me play a bit of this somewhat damning evidence that you and Salmon dug up here, David, and, and then you can explain what this all means. This was a... Uh, a 2015 event at the Council on Foreign Relations, I think, with uh, Bloomberg speaking to the council's president, Richard Haas, in a conversation that I think was supposed to be about climate change, yeah. uh, but which uh, Bloomberg, in, in fact, he has spent millions to fight against climate change, uh, Bloomberg has. Let's give him that credit. But then Bloomberg, uh, when he was asked why it was so difficult to pass climate legislation, tossed in a couple of strange points to uh, to help make his case. Shouldn't it be less difficult than it seems to be to build public support for this issue? Well, I think there's a difference between public support and support for elections. Uh, 70 or 80 percent of the people who own guns and are members of the NRA favor background checks on gun show sales and internet sales. Uh, if you buy a gun in a gun store, that's covered by federal law already. Um, but yet the Congress cannot even think about voting anything that has to do with guns. Why? Because the gun advocates, the NRA, is a single-issue advocacy group. They take no prisoners, and they have a disproportionate percent of power. So does the AARP. Um, somebody suggested we change the age when Social Security kicks in in the year 2050. They went crazy. It would hurt their members. How many members of the AARP are going to be around in 2050? Come on. <laughs> So, uh, David Dayen, uh, as you find here, he appears to be comparing uh, unfavorably uh, the American Association of Retired Persons, or AARP, to the NRA, which Bloomberg has also spent many years going to war against. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he's also done this with teachers' unions, by the way, comparing them to the NRA. Really? Uh, it seems like... Uh, you know, every problem, uh, you know, all you have is a hammer, and every problem <laughs> must be the NRA. Right. Um, you know, as you said, he, he sees this in, in very, very simple terms, mm -hmm. saying that the NRA is an interest group, uh, and I'm against interest groups, and he puts teachers' unions and, and, and the, the AARP, senior advocates, who want to protect uh, their members from Social Security cuts, mm -hmm. cuts to Medicare and Medicaid, uh, he sees them in the same category. And he said this over and over again. I mean, I guess if you have a good bit, you just keep using it. Yeah. Well, and if you have, uh, I guess, old retirees to uh, to punch, I guess you just keep punching them. Right. He was, he's been in favor of uh, cuts to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, as I understand it, for quite a long time. This is not the first time, in fact, that he went against the uh, AARP. He did so in in 2012 as well. You write that. Uh, in, uh, in Chicago in 2012, he said, nobody's going to stand up and say to the AARP, we are going to really cut back your benefits. And then he cited, I guess, Paul Ryan as the only hope to help him out. I, am I understanding that correctly? And of course I'm asking is because he's in second place, it seems, for in the, the Democratic, Democratic presidential the primary. Democratic yes, I, I know. So I, I do have this right. You do have this right, and <laughs> and this is not a one-off. This is a, a, a decade-long history mm -hmm. of promoting cuts to the social safety net, saying that only politicians with courage and 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 uh, leadership will actually, you know, put put 
the, mm-hmm. the elderly on, on, on a cat food plan. Uh, th- this is, has been his M.O. forever. And then, you know, just a week or two ago, he comes out with a retirement security policy. There's a complete 180, uh, uh, completely different than what he's been favoring in public, in documented speeches and, and discussions for almost 10 years. So, and, and, and this is also part of a pattern with Bloomberg. Uh, there, he's put out a financial reform plan that's mm-hmm. completely at odds with what he's been saying for many, many years. Uh, he put out a pro-union plan, even though uh, we're going to have a piece soon at the prospect about how every local union in New York City had their contract expire because <laughs> at, by the end of Bloomberg's tenure because Bloomberg wanted concessions uh, to their pensions and mm-hmm. to their wages. Uh, th- this is a pattern. He is, he is let's say, lying mm-hmm. <laughs> about his preferences in order to get elected when there's a paper trail and a record that goes back a mile long about what he's really about. Did he, during his advocacy uh, to raise the retirement age, as he was mentioning there in that audio clip, uh, and, and the other times he's been doing it over the years, did he ever actually support the most obvious way to help balance the books on Social Security by, instead of lower, uh, raising the retirement age, raise the Social Security cap so that all Americans, even billionaires like him, essentially pay the same percentage of their income to support it? He hasn't, and, and, and uh, let me say, he doesn't even support that now. Like, if you look at his current plan, uh-huh. he does not commit to specifically uh, scrapping the cap, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, and he does not specifically and unequivocally say, I'm opposed to cuts. What he says is that I will consider options for preserving and strengthening Social Security's long-term finances, along with a couple uh, additions to uh, targeted benefits uh, increases at the low end. Uh, This, uh, as uh, Nancy Altman, who's with Social Security Works, one Mm -hmm. of the uh, stalwart uh, uh, defenders of Social Security, what what she calls it is insider speak. This, Mm -hmm. this This is the way that people say, well, we have to make tough choices and we will consider options and these kinds of things, sort of a wink and a nod to say, uh, I'm going to be for cuts down the road at some point. Do, and and uh, the reason I ask about that uh, is because I'm, I'm constantly amazed how that never comes up. Even if you uh, look at these deficit hawks and consider their interests legitimate, they're concerned about the, uh, the, the debt and deficit, even if you uh, take that as a legitimate concern, this seems to be the most obvious way to deal with at least a huge part of it is raise the Social Security cap, which is what? Uh, what do you remember what it is now? One hundred and fifty. Something about uh, one hundred and thirty, one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year, and so someone making that amount of money uh-huh. is paying the same in Social Security taxes every year as LeBron James, <laughs> and or or as Bill Gates, or <laughs> as Warren Buffett, because that's when the cap ends. Or- or as Mike Bloomberg, who makes, Mike Bloomberg. I, I don't know how many uh, billions. Funny that you came up with that name. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, and uh, does, uh, again, if we look at this as a legitimate idea for a deficit hawk, uh, does Bloomberg have a similar record of demanding cuts to things like the military? Uh, I mean, he does mention defense as, as one of the, 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 the things that you have to deal with mm-hmm. in terms of deficit reduction. Uh, however, I mean, the, the, the obsession with deficit reduction in itself is, is, is quite silly. He was worried about
about this at, at you know, 2010, 2011, at a time when we hadn't fully recovered from the Great Recession and, mm-hmm. and go, moving to a, 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 a mode of austerity would have been absolutely devastating. And we know it would be devastating because we saw what happened in Europe when they prematurely pivoted to austerity. Mm-hmm. And, and of and of course, you you notice that he does not compare the uh, military industrial complex to the NRA, as far as I know. Now, it hasn't yet, but I mean, we'll keep digging. Okay. <laughs> it seems like he compares everybody to the NRA. Now, um, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, now, before we get to the, uh, the the very interesting article uh, on uh, any blue will do politics. Let me say, David, I have uh, made the case here, the argument that Donald Trump is such a danger to the nation, that he is a national emergency, that, you know, quite literally anyone else, at least uh, who is in the running, and that's really from every party who's running, quite literally anyone else, uh, I think would be a much smarter uh, choice for president of the United States. And I have been somewhat critical of those who are attacking each other in the Democratic primary. When I look at Bloomberg's record here, to me, this doesn't feel like an attack on Mike Bloomberg. To me, it feels like these are facts. This is journalism. This is what he's done. This is his record. And Democrats and Republicans need to know these things. Am am I getting that right or am I just falling for uh, the, the same old, you know, attacking someone who I may not like? Uh, well, I mean, I, I really think that you have to look at these things uh, on a number of levels. So there's this sort of electability focus, which is this, this thing where uh, Democrats mm-hmm. play pundit and try to decide who's going to be the best candidate. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the, the, the actual record, as you're talking about. Uh, and, and then, you know, with, with Bloomberg, there adds this additional element, and, and that is plutocracy. The notion that you can just buy your way into a nomination Mm. for one of the two major parties in uh, the United States Mm -hmm. is absolutely terrifying. Uh, It it makes a mockery of everything that Democrats have been saying for for decades about uh, their party, about the people versus the powerful, about Mm -hmm. all of these these, uh, lip service they pay to what the party is and what it stands for would be completely obliterated by the uh, uh, agreement to uh, elevate Mike Bloomberg uh, to the standard bearer of the party. This, this is a hostile takeover mm-hmm. of the Democratic Party, much like Trump was a hostile takeover of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And, and, and quite frankly, and what I do in this piece is there are a number of very disturbing parallels mm-hmm. between a Bloomberg mm-hmm. and 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 Donald Trump and the, you can even say and I don't I really don't think this is hyperbole that you know what we know of Donald Trump is that he's he's a, 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 a terrible narcissist and, and and authoritarian but he's he's really dumb and he's not good at anything and so a lot of stuff doesn't get done I, I think what you can say about Mike Bloomberg is he's effective mm-hmm. and so if he has similar uh, uh, leanings, if he uh, is, uh, you know, this sort of arrogant plutocrat who uh, thinks he can buy his way into anything, mm-hmm. he's probably going to be more effective at it <laughs> than Donald Trump right. has been thus far, and I think that's incredibly dangerous. 
And it's something that, uh, you know, it cuts against this idea of, oh, well, all we have to do is get Trump out of there, and as long as this guy has some money, uh, we can do that. I, I, I just think that's really debilitating to democracy. It's, it's and, and on a personal level, to me, it's just offensive. I mean, I am offended uh, to the soul by uh, the idea that someone could come in here. Uh, and this, by the way, is also true with Tom Steyer. Uh, at least he had the decency to sort of play the game and and join the other uh, the debates and the fundraising and that sort of stuff. Um, but I'm offended by this very idea before I can even get to uh, Mike Bloomberg's record, which is clearly objectionable, if only because it's a Republican record by and large going back many years. You you uh, write in your article, David Dayan, over at uh, the American Prospect that you were concerned that you thought the most controversial part of the argument you make in this article, though I didn't feel it was controversial in the least, uh, you, you wrote that there has been plenty of conjecture over whether a Trump-like figure could take over the Democratic Party. And I would say with Bloomberg that we are about to find out the cries of Bloomberg is not Trump will rain down on me now. And of course, uh, he's not Trump, but there are a disturbing number of similarities. First, before we hit some of those similarities, uh, have you been rained down upon since making that argument, David? You, you do get this uh, from certain uh, uh, sectors of uh, the you know population, whether they... I mean, we know that Bloomberg is literally paying people on social media to, to talk him up. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they're on the payroll or not, but I have gotten some comments. Uh, uh, but, you know, I mean, I think more, more often than not, the response has been, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, this is, this is something we really have to be concerned about, yeah, it's worried it. about. And, and, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm worried about uh, the sort of shell-shocked nature of the Democratic electorate that has given up on democracy and thinks the only way to beat uh, their plutocrat is with our plutocrat. And, and that... Uh, that concerns me almost for more reasons than just hmm. uh, the Bloomberg uh, uh, nomination. It, it concerns yeah. me that, that people are, are so despondent that they think democracy doesn't work anymore, because that, that leads us down a very dark road. Do you feel that this is a response from the electorate, as you just uh, cited, or is this the establishment of the Democratic Party who is sort of helping to, to, to push this along? Well, I mean, we know the polls, right? Uh, what, what we've learned over the last four months is that advertising works, mm-hmm. and a lot of advertising works even better. Yes. And when you spent, Michael Bloomberg has already spent more money trying to get elected president in, on advertising mm-hmm. than any candidate in American history, and it is February 19th. Mm. It is nine months before the election. He has already spent more money than any other candidate ever. And what has he gotten for that? Well, he's been all alone on the air in all of these states that are not the early states that he's not competing in. And he's in second place in uh, many of the national polls. He's in first or second place in many of the Super Tuesday states. Uh, Advertising works. So, uh, you know, this argument is getting out there, whether it's helped along by an establishment or whether it's just a bunch of broke-brained people who mm-hmm. are, are just so fed up with Trump that they'll, they'll, they'll sort of, uh, you know, lunge in the direction of anyone with money, uh, or, or whether it 
reflects a real discontent with the choices of the Democratic Party, which I actually don't think is true, uh, it, 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 it's a phenomenon, and, and, and we have to understand it and, and figure it out. But yeah, and but what do you say to the? I mean, for some people, like I said, I'm offended by it. It sounds like you're offended by it. This amount of money, but for some people. Uh, I think that's a huge selling point for Mike Bloomberg, that he is going to throw his billions at removing this national menace uh, in the White House and that that is uh, good enough and that it's proof that it could work because uh, look how far it's gotten him already in just the you know, first couple of months of blanketing the air with, uh, with radio and TV ads. If well, he I can do that, this. isn't that enough? I would say this. Uh, first of all, Today is really the first day of the Michael Bloomberg uh, presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. Because now he actually has to face a reporter, Mm -hmm. and he has to face his fellow fellow candidates for the nomination. For the first time ever, he has run this race completely on his own terms in 30-second sound bites, unchallenged by anyone. This is the first day he's actually going to have to be challenged. So we'll see how he stands up to that. The road of uh, politics is littered with large spending candidates that end up flopping. Right. We've seen this over and over and over again here in California with mm-hmm. Meg Whitman. Mm. Uh, we, we've seen it with uh, Michael Huffington, who was Ariana's right, uh, right. husband. Uh, we see this over and over again, big spending, big money candidates who, who get nothing for the effort. Uh, that, especially in a presidential campaign, you know, lest we forget Hillary Clinton out spent Donald Trump three to one right. in the 2016 campaign. Money is not everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would argue that Bloomberg is a demonstrably worse candidate than Hillary Clinton in all of the places that were crucial to the 2016 election. So uh, I, I, don't buy, I don't buy the electability argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't buy the money can buy everything argument necessarily. And I do think that, that Bernie Sanders has shown through a low-dollar strategy that he can remain competitive, which is kind of all you need. Uh, and uh, I, I certainly weep for uh, the, 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 the concept that uh, that that everything in democracy is for sale, and 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 you know I detail a number of reasons why the record, both uh, his his policy record and his record of buying off people within uh, who are in his way. Uh, are 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 really troubling. I'm going to point folks over to the American Prospect at prospect.org uh, to uh, Dan's uh, uh, list here of <laughs> objectionable policy uh, records from uh, from Michael Bloomberg and this comparison to Donald Trump. Uh, You know, someone with uh, uh, racial and sexist skeletons in both of their closets and a penchant for subverting democracy and showing contempt toward the rule of law. I'm going to point folks over to that because it's really a great uh, summary of Mike Bloomberg's record. And if you support that, fine, but at least you need to know what it is. But let me uh, leave you with this last question, David. Um, Isn't all of this, this initial rise 
Uh, first, I guess, of Joe Biden and then the subsequent rises of so-called centrists like Pete Buttigieg and then Amy Klobuchar and now Mike Bloomberg. Isn't that a reaction worth noting from not only the Democratic establishment, but yes, from the Democratic voters uh, who keep lining up behind these folks as if their uh, current choices and their current front runner in Bernie Sanders uh, is not enough? Well, they're they're trying on different different coats, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, we saw this in in 2012 too on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. You know, one day it'd be Herman Cain, and, mm-hmm. and then the next day it'd be Rick Santorum, and the next day it'd be somebody else. Uh, this there there definitely is a sort of palpable kind of fear among mm-hmm. the establishment uh, that their gravy train may be coming to an end, that uh, a Bernie Sanders presidency or even nomination will create a new class of uh, influencers, uh, of, of influential people within the Democratic Party, within mm. Washington, and that their time will, will come to an end, or at least they'll go into exile for a little while. And uh, that's really troubling to this establishment. They, the problem is they can't seem to find anyone without massive problems in their background uh, or in their record or in their appeal uh, to, to take on someone who has a, a stranglehold on a, a, a good segment of the Democratic electorate and who's generally well-liked by the Democratic electorate. So I think these debates that Bloomberg is now participating in will help tell this story. Uh, it, it's, it's substantively, from a, just a horse race level, a good thing for Bernie Sanders to have all of these moderates splitting the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it could allow him the ability by Super Tuesday to build an almost insurmountable delegate lead. Mm. Uh, So, uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, over at the Sanders campaign, they are not unhappy at all with this this aspect of of the establishment trying on different suits. And here I thought it was going to be Warren and Sanders splitting the uh, progressive vote and allowing a guy like Joe Biden to sail on through. Right. Uh, Right. So we will see. All right, uh, check out uh, David's story, Michael Bloomberg and the Dangers of Any Blue Will Do Politics over at Prospect.org and also his scoop today with Alex Salmon. Mike Bloomberg compared the AARP to the NRA. You can find them both at Prospect.org. You can find uh, David Dayan on the Twitters at DDayan, and the Prospect is simply the Prospect over on the Twitters. Great work as ever, David. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Okay, we got to get out. My <laughs> thanks as well to Desi Doyen, our producer. Thank yep. you, Des. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us, wherever you may be. It is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That service made available by those of you generous listeners out there who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves or on your podcasts or wherever you might find us. We could not do it without you. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here tomorrow with our special coverage of the 9th Democratic presidential debate in Las Vegas. Uh, until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.